Check, check. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Lisa. We'll go ahead and get started. Hi, Lucy. Good afternoon. Lucy, glad you're here. All right, I'd like to take a few minutes to introduce our presenter. This is uh, Jason Klink. He's a former first responder and accomplished public safety professional with more than 25 years of industry service. Jason began with the fire service before also working in a 911 communication center where he served in both capacities for more than two decades and reached positions of fire chief and dispatch supervisor. Jason's experience with staff management and public safety environments has provided him with experience crucial to consulting others on leadership, staff management, and organizational strategies. So it's my honor to uh, welcome Jason to the stage. Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm not used to being confined like this. Usually when I've done training classes in the firehouse, I walk all over the place, throw my hands around. So this, if I knock into the mic, don't make, pay any attention to that. Um, so I am here today to do a presentation on, oh, it worked, on leadership. Uh, you know, I, I created this presentation uh, based on a real recognition that I had that it's so super very important to cultivate the leadership within our own organizations before we need to display leadership during a mission, an operation, a response. So with that, a little bit about me. I am uh, the founding consultant of JJK Professional Services, which I do in parallel with the company I work for. I'm a customer success manager with Carbine, formerly Carbine 911. Carbine is a next generation uh, emergency communications technology company. Uh, we provide the uh, future generation technology to all uh, public safety communication centers. Um, that includes um, uh, advanced mobile location, uh, video and chat messaging. Funny, you know, I was just thinking too, about two decades or more ago, I actually worked down here in Virginia Beach. I worked for DOD at Damneck Training Center. Uh, so yes, I just aged myself. Uh, but I was a very young man, young man then. Uh, loved Virginia Beach, loved the Tidewater area. I joke all the time I'd still be living here if it wasn't for my ex-wife. I spent 25 years in the, in the fire service, both as a volunteer and uh, a career firefighter for a short time, working for DOD. Uh, I was fire chief of the Maddiedale Fire Department in New York. I live in Syracuse, New York, by the way, um, for, in 2005, 2006. I was 32 years old and had no business being fire chief yet. Uh, but because the volunteer fire service in New York has slowly decided on popularity contest, I was popular those two years and then I wasn't. Um, in parallel to that, I worked at the uh, 911 Center in Syracuse, New York uh, for almost 19 years before I left to go to the dark side and become a vendor. Um, during those 19 years, the last seven of it, I thought it was a good idea to, to be a dispatch supervisor. Um, and I'll get into a lot of those, well not a lot, but some of those stories as, as we go on here. I like to keep these interactive. Feel free to interrupt me, wave your hand, ask a question. Um, I won't be offended, I promise. So what we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna talk about developing senior leadership, which uh, breaks out into trust and relationships, leading from a distance, 100% ownership, and building a legacy. We're gonna talk about developing the middle management, the, the middle supervisory roles, uh, talking about leading and not managing, about being proactive, not reactive, talking about egos and leading from all levels. And then finally, the last section is developing emerging leaders, easy for me to say, but those are the leaders that are coming up through the rank and file that um, have an aspiration to move up the ranks and, and move up the career ladder at some point. So it'll be the principles of leadership, communicating with your team, span of control, and can leadership actually be a learned skill? 
So developing senior leadership, and, and to go back to, the, to this slide here, a lot of these, see I'm already trying to walk away from the microphone, a lot of these really melt together and build one into the other. Um, so all of these topics that are under these different sections really can fall in e any of the sections. You know, near and dear to my heart is the mental management and working as a dispatch supervisor, you know, you're kind of in the middle of administration and their wants, needs, desires, and directives and the rank and file of the organization who you're responsible for, you're responsible for training, educating, disciplinary actions, leading, and so on. So developing senior leadership. Strong senior leadership is going to build successful relationships and trusting relationships with everybody in the staff. Trust is a two-way street. It's earned and can be taken away just as quickly. Um, the members of your team should be trusted to address and solve problems that come up during normal operations. They should be empowered to, if something comes up, they should be, be able to make the decision-making or decision-making to solve that problem. Um, leaders will build trust among the team members by giving the trust the sense of responsibility. Um, allowing your team members to participate in the planning process of day-to-day -day operations will strengthen the overall relationship. You should always lead with honesty. People deserve and expect honesty. If you're honest with your people, they're going to be honest back with you. If a team member makes an error when trying to you know, solve a problem or, or complete a mission, um, it's very important to provide them with the education and guidance versus trying to put the hammer down on their head or belittling them. Micromanaging should never be a part of your leadership skills. Micromanaging um, tends to pull teams apart rather than put them together. Always remember to educate before you discipline. Uh, you know, I was always a big fan of, you know, what can we learn out of this? What kind of training can we do out of this? Especially when I was a chief and line officer in the fire service. How can we learn from something that maybe didn't go so right versus I'm going to write you up? Um, you know, being a fire chief and a volunteer fire service, it's very difficult to write people up, suspend them, or discipline them because you always risk them just leaving and never coming back. And now you're short-staffed even more than you already are right now. Team relationships often grow into personal relationships. It's, it's common to be able to have a personal relationship with the people that you're working side by side with every single day. The important thing is, is that they need to understand that you are in a leadership position, that you may be in an upper leadership position. And at some point, you're going to have to make a hard decision they may not agree with. But you should be able to hammer that stuff out and still go have a, a cup of coffee in the break room later without it turning into um, a dramatic mess, for lack of better terms. Many outside factors could directly influence your performance or the performance of your personnel. You need to take a vested interest in what's going on with your personnel. Is there something going on outside the organization that maybe you need to address? Again, you can be a friend, but make sure they understand where the, where the line is in the sand. So leading, we're gonna talk about leading from a distance. Now I have three short video clips in the, in the presentation. Three short video clips from different um, pieces of content that are content creators that really had played a profound effect on me as a leader. And the first one is John Maxwell. And if you've never heard John Maxwell speak or read any of his books, super inspiring. And John doesn't sugarcoat anything, but he, he inspires people to be better and to do better. So let's see if this will work. At level number one, this is where we all start. We all start with a title, we all start with a job description, we all start with a position. People at level number one follow you because they have to. In other words, you're the boss. The downside of level number one is the people who follow you will give you the least amount 
of their energy and effort. People don't like to have to follow people because they have to follow people. Level number two is the permission level. People now begin to follow you because they want to. Now what happened between levels one and two? You've connected with your people. They're not following you just because you are a supervisor. They're, they're following you because you are a supervisor that people like. The leader on level two, they have three things that they do extremely well to be a relational leader. One is they listen well. Secondly, they observe. They're conscious about where their people are and what their people are doing. And thirdly, they're learning. And then in the process of listening, observing, and learning, they have an attitude of servanthood. The third level is the production level. At, at this level, you become effective as a leader because you produce. And at level number three, your leadership begins to gain credibility because now you are fleshing out for the people around you things that they want to see. Level number four is the people development level. The most appreciable asset you have in any organization is the people of that organization. Three thoughts on developing people. Number one is the key to developing leaders and the key to developing good people is in recruitment. 80% of your success of equipping people to be successful is in the front door on who you bring in. Recruitment is key. Number two is positioning. The ability not only to bring the right person in the, right, in, in, the, in the front door, but also to put them in the right place, as Collins would say, get them on the bus, get them on the right seat. Successful people have discovered what they're good at. Successful leaders discover what other people are good at. At level number four, you recruit well, you position well, and then you equip well. And I use a very simple five-step equipping process. The first step is, is I do it. Step two is I do it and you're with me. I take you with me. Now we're going to spend time together. I'm going to be your mentor. Now on step three, you do it. You do it and I'm with you. Step four is you do it. You don't need me anymore. You know how to do it. You do it and you do it well. Step five is, is you do it and somebody's with you. You've never really trained and equipped somebody until they can multiply themselves. That's level number four. The level where you develop people. It's level number five, the pinnacle level. The pinnacle level, the key word there is respect. They follow you because of who you are, the qualities you have in your life. They follow you because of what you have done. Leadership is an always ongoing, always learning, growing process. Okay. Always a learning, growing process and know your people. So, leading from a distance, and, and what, do, what am I trying to get at with that? So, I'm sure we've all worked for a manager, supervisor, leader that are always kind of hovering in the background. And we've heard of hover parents, and hover parents that are always trying to make sure the kids don't fail, they don't fall down, they don't get hurt, they don't get sick. Hover leaders are, are the same way. They're making sure that you don't mess anything up because it's going to directly reflect on them. Um, as an upper level leader, you never want to be a hover leader. Your team members will feel suffocated and restricted from decision making or to solve problems. Many times this is looked at as an extreme level of micromanagement, which it is. You know, sometimes you have to manage, and we'll get into leading versus management, but you know, you can't micromanage every single result. Trust must be well established to promote leading from a distance. And you have to be able to delegate authority. Delegating authority spreads decision-making to the middle and lower leaders in order to make their supervision effective with the team. Policies and procedures need to be understood from the senior top number one spot all the way down through the rank and file. Everybody needs to understand the why. A lot of times the why comes from the mission statement of the organization. But if you're going to give out a directive, an order, it needs to comply with the policies and procedures that are in place to eliminate confusion. Supervisors and team members should be free to be able to ask questions. This way they can kind of clarify any confusion they have and clarify the direction that you're giving them. Senior leaders should never shun away from questions and embrace the opportunity to educate. There are occasions when senior leadership must make corrections, redirect the team, because they're, what they're watching, and they're standing back and watching, and the reason I came up with this concept 
is, you know, as fire chief, I would always stand back and watch a scene from, from a distance. I wouldn't stand right in the middle of the operation, which I knew some chiefs that did that. They'd have their portable radio and they'd be standing there trying to talk on three channels and point and direct everyone from, from the middle of the scene. Or they'd have an air pack on and they'd be trying to do it from the front door of a house fire. It's not all that effective. I would always try to stand back and watch everything unfold. Number one, because of safety was always very first and foremost in my mind. Um, so it's very important to kind of be able to, to direct the orchestra without being in the middle of the pit. You know, sometimes there's errors, sometimes there's mistakes, but leading from a distance, you should be able to catch these errors and mistakes before somebody, especially in my business, gets hurt or killed. Everyone on the team should recognize a situation when the senior leadership is intervening. If they're intervening, there's probably a reason why they're intervening. So 100% ownership. 100% ownership is a concept of the fact that if you are a senior leadership, if you're at the top of the organizational chart, if you're the number one or even the number two, you have a 100% ownership of everything that's going on in the entire organization from your position all the way down to the rookie person. Senior leadership needs to understand 100% ownership. Good, bad, and different, it doesn't really matter. You're ultimately responsible for everything that's going on. If you're looking to place blame or fault on something that didn't go well, start right here and look in the mirror and see if you could have done something different, provided something different. If your personnel witness that you're taking 100% ownership of everything that's going on, they're also going to buy into their own ownership in your mission of your organization. When errors occur or operations fail, the senior leadership needs to identify what could have been done differently. Did the team need more training? Did they need more preparation? Did they need more resources? What could we have done different to get a different outcome? Wherever the failure occurred, this needs to be identified and addressed in short order. It can't be something that goes on and on and fosters for months and months and years and years. Embrace the errors as an opportunity to fail forward and improve overall. When the mission or operations go better than planned, you as a senior leader should give credit to where credit is due. And if your team made that operation, that mission, uh, that project go well, give them the credit that they they deserve by making that project go well. In a strong organization with strong leadership, the, the, the direct reflection of credit will ultimately come back to the leader because it's a team and everybody understands that. So if the team leader, the number one, is giving credit to the group that was successful, it ultimately reflects back up. The very moment that a leader allows for excuses as explanations opens the door to shift blame around. Once there's blame, there's failure. So building a legacy. As a senior leader, as the top of the organizational chart, you should be looking to leave the place better than you found it. You should be working every day to develop the team, develop the organization, and ultimately when you leave, it was better than when you walked in. When you do this, it ultimately creates that legacy for you and leaves a lasting mark on the organization, positive mark. Senior leaders should cultivate a relationship among the leaders at every level and ultimately prepare them to take their place. Now, the fire department that I, that I came up in, I grew up in the, that firehouse, I came up through the ranks, and at the time, the, the officers, the line officers and chiefs officers, officers did a very good job of preparing you to move into the next position through training, through education, through coaching, through mentoring. So we were always trying to get the lieutenants to be prepared to one day be captains, and the captains one day to be prepared to be assistant chiefs and so on. Um, and it was something that we strive for because it ultimately made them stronger leaders at their level. And once they won their popularity contest or decided to move up in the ranks, they were prepared to do so. Because uh, I've seen time and time again where leaders moved up to, through the ranks, they moved up too quickly or they weren't prepared, and they get into the position and they fail because they just didn't know what they were getting into.
I was lucky enough when I became the fire chief in, in 05 because of the way situations transpired that uh, one of my mentors coming up through the department um, turned to me and gave me a playbook that he had created, essentially a playbook, that laid out how, how the line was going to be broken up and who was going to do what. and um, It was one of the more stand-up things I've ever seen done in, in my 25 years in the fire service. And I was very, very appreciative that he did that for me because at that time I needed it. <laughs> a senior leader, as a senior leader, you should be confident in your own skill set in order to build up confidence in every leader below you. A strong senior leader will take every opportunity to teach the young leaders their leadership skills, allowing them to take charge at part of the mission. Mentoring these junior leaders to someday take the reins is an optimal way of building your own legacy within your organization. Take a vested interest in the people that you're leading. Back one. There are many times when you must lead your peers or other leaders within the organization. If you're on the top of the organizational chart, you're leading quite a few people. Developing these leaders to eventually move up in the organization can be very challenging. Egos got to have to be set aside. If you take the time to build the relationships among every level, it's going to factor into the success. You will need to gain some comfort in allowing these peers to have the, a part in the decision-making pro, uh, process, either for a project, an initiative. I always found that if you wanted to empower your staff, if you wanted to empower your supervisory leaders, Give them a project to accomplish. Give them an initiative to accomplish. Um, it, it gives them an ultimate sense of, of ownership of what's going on in the organization, and they're going to work hard to get that done. You can always keep an overhead view of how the operations or the mission or the project is going while monitoring everything that is going on because of the simple fact you have 100% ownership of the organization. If you have to interject yourself, do it respectfully and tactfully and don't come from a place of and we'll talk about this in a few minutes but don't come from a place of an ego or a big um a big personality and try to in, in, insert yourself and in maybe something you don't need to insert yourself in so leading and not managing leaders lead leaders find every day a reason to lead managers run around all day trying to put fires out and make sure nothing bad happens the one difficult lesson that middle management and really any management, any leadership will find to learn is the difference between learning and managing. Leaders take charge by making decisions based on the given situation, and these decisions are weighed against positive outcomes. Managers run around, they put fires out, and they have a tendency to only manage what's right in front of them. Short-term, long-term planning thrown right out the window. It's what's going on right now. Leaders build relationships while leading by example. Managers tend to micromanage while second-guessing everything their personnel is doing. You know, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? How does it affect me? Am I going to get in trouble because I'm um, middle management and the, the senior leadership? How are they going to come down on me because my team's messing up? It's not effective, and it, it builds poor relationships within your team. Even though all of your personnel are generally on the same team, they all have different personalities, they have different goals, they have different traits, characteristics, values. Managers just go around and assume everybody's the same and they're going to provide outcomes that are important to the manager. Leaders will take the time to make connections to understand the different personality types that, that are working within the team and how to work with them on a daily basis. Strong leaders will learn how to communicate with each team Managers will just try to create a blanket form of communication. Leaders seek to be understood. Managers just seek to be heard. So this next video is Simon Sinek. Simon is a, a, is a thought leader in the leadership space. And in this one, he's talking about lead, a leader versus a manager. Let's see, go back. 
unfortunately, it's not playing the video there. It's playing it here, but at least you get to hear it. If you want to eat healthy and feel your yeah. best, you got to try Kachava. Kachava is the world's... Sorry about that. There are two things that I think that great leaders need to have. Empathy and perspective. And I think these things are very often forgotten. Leaders are so often so concerned about their status or their position in an organization, they actually forget their real job. And the real job of a leader is not about being in charge, it's about taking care of those in our charge. And I don't think people realize this, and I don't think people train for this. When we're junior, our only responsibility is to be good at our jobs. That's all we really have to do. And some people actually go get advanced educations on, so that they can be really good at their jobs, accountants or whatever, right? And you show up and you work hard and the company will give us tons and tons of training how to do our jobs. They'll show us how to use the software, they'll send us away for a few days to get trained in whatever it is that we're doing for the company. And then they expect us to go be good at our jobs. And that's what we do, we work very hard. And if you're good at your job, uh, they'll promote you. And at some point, you'll get promoted to a position where we're now responsible for the people who do the job we used to do, but nobody shows us how to do that. And that's why we get managers and not leaders. Because the reason our managers are micromanaging us is because they actually do know how to do, do the job better than us. That's what got them promoted. Really what we have to do is go through a transition. Some people make it quickly, some people make it slowly, and unfortunately some people will never make that transition at all. Which is we have to go this, through this transition of being responsible for the job and then turning into somebody who's now responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. And as I said before, one of the great things that is lacking in most of our companies is that they are not teaching us how to lead. And leadership is a skill like any other. It is a practicable, learnable skill. And it is something that you work on. It's like a muscle. If you practice it all the days, uh, you will get good at it and you will get, become a strong leader. If you stop practicing, you will become a weak leader. Like parenting, everyone has the capacity to be a parent. Doesn't mean everybody wants to be a parent and doesn't mean everybody should be a parent. Leadership is the same. We all have the capacity to be a leader. Doesn't mean everybody should be a leader and it doesn't mean everybody wants to be a leader. And the reason is because it comes at great personal sacrifice. Remember, you're not in charge, you're responsible for those in your charge. That means things like when everything goes right, you have to give away all the credit. And when everything goes wrong, you have to take all the responsibility. That sucks, right? It's things like staying late to show somebody what to do. It's things like when something does actually break, when something goes wrong, instead of yelling and screaming and taking over, you say, try again. When the overwhelming pressures are not on them, the overwhelming pressures are on us. At the end of the day, great leaders are not responsible for the job. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. They're not even responsible for the results. I love talking to CEOs and say, what's your priority? And they put their hands on their hips all proudly and say, my priority is my customer. I'm like, really? You haven't talked to a customer in 15 years. <laughs> There's no CEO on the planet responsible for the customer. They're just not. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the customer. Just a couple of things that Simon had talked about there. Empathy. Empathy's not a word we use a lot in the fire service. We don't even use that the 911 center a whole lot. But empathy has become a rather large movement and buzzword that I have identified in, in talking to other colleagues um, when it comes to leadership and having empathy for your people, your staff, your crew, um, understanding who they are as, as people. And one of the things I've learned here recently is the, the different generational influences that, that there are. Um, because I age myself, I'll proudly admit I'm a Generation X. And I learned recently that Generation X is actually currently the smallest generation out of them, all of them out there, including the baby boomers that are dying off. Um, but now we have Gen Z, Gen Y, millennials, all of them coming into the workforce with different aspirations, different traits, characters, values, things that they're looking for 
And we had a big problem with that. At, I know at my 911 center when we started getting more millennials and, and younger uh, employees, and they, have, they had a very different work ethic. And they were looking for very different things, and it's not wrong, it's not bad, it's something you have to identify and, and work with. One of the other things that the, at the 911 center is, you know, because the way civil service is, especially in New York, um, if you wanted to get promoted, you go have a good Saturday and score high on the test and poop, you're a supervisor. Doesn't matter what skill set you have, where you came from, you, you pass the test, you passed an interview because you interviewed well and now you're a supervisor. Supervisor training, you sit at the shift supervisor's desk with a shift supervisor and you learned how to do paperwork. You never once learned how to lead. Didn't even really learn how to manage other than manage paperwork every day. So when things, you know, things got busy, things got hot, it, it was very much a team effort to make sure that everything was taken care of because you never knew if that supervisor that was sitting there had strong leadership skills. We even had shift supervisors that would walk around the room and make sure you were doing everything you were doing, even though you were following policy while you were doing it. We used to have a running joke when certain supervisors walked up, we just went like this and pointed at the supervisor's desk and told them to go back and sit down. Probably wasn't the best thing to do, but <laughs> they were walking up to say, hey, did you do this? Hey, yes, we took care of it. So preactive versus reactive. We've all worked for probably both types of people or with both types of people, people that are proactively working or just react and their hair catches on fire and they lose their minds. One of the worst character flaws of a leader are those that operate reactively versus leading proactively. Leaders should have the forethought to plan an operation or a mission based on the proactive approach to accomplishing the goals of the operation project, whatever it might be. Goals should have the necessary tasks assigned to them that are pre-planned, and those tasks and those goals should be quantifiable and time-measured. You can say that, you know, we are going to, you know, accomplish a certain goal by the, at some point. You just say, we're going to accomplish this goal. We're going to accomplish a new radio system for our communications. That's it. That's the only thing that's planned. Well, when? When are you going to do it? Because if you don't put time weight on it, it's just going to float out into space and be, be negotiable after that. Reactivity to errors and situations that go wrong should be kept to a minimum. It's very difficult for a leader to go through day-to-day -day operations by taking a reactive approach. Conduct yourself as a, conducting yourself as a reactive leader results in your team downing your leadership skills. If you, if you lose your mind on every little thing that goes wrong, your team's just going to wonder what your deal is, and they really aren't going to take much of what you said to heart. I've worked with too many leaders that Things would start getting heated or something would start going wrong and they would just, they would just lose their minds. One of, uh, I, had a, I had a boss that, you know, if there was an error and there was, it, it kept reoccurring. Reoccurring error throughout the, the center but from different people. And his, his reactive approach to it was, well, if we don't start correcting this, everybody's just getting written up. You're all getting written up. You're all getting paper in your file. Instead of taking 100% ownership and going, wait a minute, what, what are we doing wrong? Is there, there, does there need to be more training? Do we need to do more review? You know, let's identify, let's follow some data. There's a brilliant deduction. Let's follow some data and see what's causing this. Many reactive leaders are defensive in nature and they are consumed by the short-term outcomes. Reactive leaders are a lot like managers. They survive best by putting out fires every day instead of planning. Proactive leaders plan for all outcomes and contingencies as best as they can. You know, working in the fire service, we, we trained and trained and trained some more. That way things were automatic when we got off the fire engine. So me as a line officer shouldn't have to hold people's hands if the house is on fire. They should know by the seat that they're sitting in or the crew that they're with what their job is and what they have to do. The leader's there to direct and keep them safe. Uh, you know, leaders should never have to sit there and wait, hang on, we got, especially in emergency situations. Taking the time to take the proactive approach to uh, problems garners an environment where the team is part of the problem-solving process. A proactive leader is comfortable enough to allow their personnel to create and execute a plan of action. 
Empower your people to find the solutions to your problems. Give them a sense that they have a part in the outcome of what's going on. The reactive leaders have a tendency just to micromanage and worry about, you know, how is this going to affect me or what kind of trouble am I going to get in? There will be times when personnel just do or say things that they just don't make any sense. It's, you want to look at them, shake them, and go, what are you thinking? Um, it happens. But you have, to, <laughs> you have to proactively address that. Shaking them and asking them what they're in front of everyone is probably not the best course of action. You know, we have to keep our ego and our emotions in check, analyze the situation, and find the solution to correcting the problem that was created by certain personnel. Allowing the situation to play out as it does and make your decision based on logic, not emotion, is the best way to go. Proactive approaches will always remain far superior to reactive approaches. Egos get interjected into our organizations and it could be slight or not so slight. Usually people with big personalities tend to be the center of a conversation, the center of a situation. Big personalities tend to have larger egos, but egos should never be something that's like oozing out of their pores and causing problems, especially if you're the leader. If you're the leader with a big personality, that's one thing. Are you rallying your people around your big personality or are you creating a big ego where nobody wants to deal with you? A lot of the times, you, ego will come up against ego, and now you got a stalemate. Nothing gets accomplished. Having the self-confidence is one thing, but now allowing it to morph into ego is another. Some leaders, you know, will ultimately diminish their position of authority by having those big egos. Personnel expects that your rank and authority comes with some type of training and experience. I used to have... Uh, when I was working for DOD and I was up in New York, I had a lieutenant. It wasn't that he had a big ego, he's just kind of a funny guy, but his leadership skills were very limited. And if he told you what to do and it didn't make any sense and you went, you know, Lieutenant, what, what are you talking about? He would just go, see these, and that was it. That, that was his reaction, you see these, and, and then you had to go do whatever he told you to do as long as you weren't going to kill yourself. Not exactly the best model. Part of checking your, your ego is to be secure with your own leadership skills. This is not to say that all leaders are perfect. Lord knows I learned a whole lot of lessons from 04 to 06. Um, if there is something that you are not familiar with and you're leading a group, you're leading a crew, ask questions. Be honest. Say, I just don't know the answer to that question. Let me go find you the answer. Let's go find the solution to that problem. It comes across a lot better and builds a lot more rapport with your team by saying, you know what, I just don't know, let's go look it up, than guessing. Guessing and the problem gets worse, or somebody, you know, or worse, they get hurt or killed. Never allow an ego to explode into a negative situation where the situation becomes out of control. You as a leader should be able to step back, analyze what's going on, recognize what's going on, your shortfalls, if there's any shortfalls with a group, and then reorganize and find a solution. This will ultimately deflate the influence of any ego, and your personnel will recognize you and your leadership skills. So, leading at all levels. Leading at all levels is as much a part of an organizational chart as it is influence. Leading at all levels inherently means you're making leadership known at every level that, you know, that everybody has a supervisor to report to. There's a chain of command. I've always been big on chain of command. I, I would have firefighters come running in the chief's office because they had a maintenance issue on a fire engine. Chief, chief, this is not working. Okay, did you go talk to the lieutenant that's in charge of that piece of apparatus? No, you were here, so I came to talk to you. Go find the lieutenant, and if I need to know, he'll tell me. And it's just breaking up the duties and breaking up that, that chain so there's that flow of information. The flow of information shouldn't stop at the lower level, and it shouldn't stop at the higher level. But there should be that constant flow, but it should start and end somewhere. Absolutely.
That is, that is an awesome question. And, and I don't know if everybody could hear what she was asking is, you know, a lot of times that person, that the personnel is going to the, the top leader because they have a lack of confidence in the middle, middle leadership that they're supposed to report to. How do you fix that? First, it's identifying it. Why is that, why is that personnel coming to me instead of going to the person they're supposed to be going to? Having a conversation, maybe pick their brain a little bit. Why did, you know, have a conversation. Why, why did, you know, the way I handled it at the time was a, a direct response of my young age and lack of experience at the time. Um, and I, I tell that story now more out of funny and, than anything else, but it's, you know, let's have a conversation. Why, why didn't you talk to, the, to your supervisor first? When you get that information, you go and talk to the supervisor and say, hey, just so you know, I have personnel coming to talk to me about an issue that should be handled with you, but they felt more comfortable coming to talk to me, and this is why I think this is going on. Um, you, you may get somebody that gets insulted, and that's ego. Um, but you have to try to frame it in the way of, this is a personal conversation between you and I. It's not a disciplinary thing. I just like to understand and see how we can make this better and, this, and, and make this flow of information better. Ultimately, that's gonna, if, you, if you as the higher leader recognize a, a chance to train the supervisory level, it's going to make them a stronger leader. They're going to have more respect for you. They may not at the time because they may feel threatened because they're questioned, but over time they're going to have more respect for you as a leader because you took the time out to listen to them, to talk to them, and try to educate them on, on a better way of handling what's going on at their level. Great question. <laughs> um, so leading at all levels will provide you the ability to con constantly measure the progress of the entire team. Leading at all levels will allow you to identify any negative situations and quickly mitigate them. Leading at all levels will ultimately allow you to grow your, your personal leadership skill set as you grow with your organization. So that should be all a part of that. Leading at all levels. Leading with the, the most senior person on the team to the most junior person on, under your supervisory care. This next video, this is Chief Alan Brunacini of the Phoenix, Arizona Fire Department. Chief Brunacini was decades ahead of fire chiefs across the nation in his thought processes and the way he ran his fire department. And he kept that going and those thought, he was always just forward thinking, forward thinking, all the way up to the point when he retired. And I believe he was 80 or late 70s when he retired. Um, and just the, the, the processes that he put forth, one of the big things that he recognized, which was completely different for the fire service, was customer service. These people are our customers that we're going to help. We're providing a service to our customers. It's a very difficult concept in the fire service to grasp onto because the majority of the time we didn't think that way. But he was right. You know, the people that were calling for service were calling for customer service, and, and they needed your help. Do you know what I see here? I see every single house wasting money. Why? Because yeah, there's yeah. a brand new stimulus. Sorry about that. I think the other part, and we've talked about it here a lot, is simply the human relations part of it. And, and you, 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 you need to learn about humans in the process. What, what, what components they have mentally and psychologically and spiritually and, and uh, cognitively and, and, and emotionally and socially. And I don't mean to make that real complicated. Now, what makes humans tick in the process? I think how do you motivate people? We've talked a lot about appreciation and gratitude and organizationally acknowledging when people do, a, do, do, do good work in the process. Uh, I think today, and again, kind of a, a current, very long overdue uh, conversation and then discussion that leads to some kind of programming thing, is simply, what do you do when people are having problems? People who work for you have, are, are going to have problems. You, you hire these kids when they're 21, they're almost problem-free, other than they're, they're just kids in the process. 
they get married, their folks get older, they have relationship difficulties, they work in places that aren't co completely positive, they have kids, they're, we, we, you know, uh, and that's the, that's the agony and ecstasy of, of, of getting to that stage of your life because you have kids. Uh, how do you somehow support them? Because you're their boss, in other words, you're their moral and spiritual leader for in the fire service, a third of their lives in the process. We see the people in the fire station probably longer than any other group of people that you hang out with, including your family, uh, particularly looking at kind of the contemporary routine and families in the process. So you need to understand, I, I've said you ought, to, you ought to be a bartender, you ought to drive a cab and you ought to work in, a, in, in some kind of a service that delivers some kind of support to poor people. I almost say you'd be a, a it, pastor, a bartender, and a cab driver. See, see that's right. Because you're going to learn the human condition. Right. And don't let the human condition surprise you or shock you or, 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 or think, wow, I didn't, I didn't get that. It, it, the, this, the, we're humans. Right. Humans come from the factory based on the day that we're made. And there's maybe five or six models of us. It, it, you need to figure out what's going on with people simply in their personal profile. And, and that's and you got to fit into that and you got to make it you, you got to adapt that to the routine that we have to have to somehow be effective and safe in the process. But you got to understand humans. If you don't humans want to deal with humans, we're not working with robots, at least not yet. Um, we have to be able to interact with each other on, on a human level. That means having some kind of humility, gratitude, caring. Um, you know, in, in my, my service, that was hard to come by most of the time. Um, but they also don't call it a brother or sisterhood for no reason. So if we're going to develop emerging, emerging leaders, they need to understand the principles of leadership. Again, humility, humility is an important quality for a new leader. A new leader should treat an appointment to a leadership position as an honor. Your team will be looking to you to make sound and educated decisions. It's never in the best interest of your team for a new leader to act if, as if they have all the answers. I used to tell my line officers when I was a chief officer, just make a decision. Right or wrong, make a decision. If it's the right decision, I'll pat you on the back. If it's a wrong decision, we'll go talk about it. But make a decision. You know, it's just, the worst thing ever is if you're sitting in a crew and you're waiting for direction and you get none. In an emergency situation, as we all work in, it's, it's, it, it, it multiplies it by 10. If you're sitting there waiting for, for some type of directive and it's not coming. I always bust on a good friend of mine. He was a lieutenant when I was a chief officer. Brand new lieutenant. And we get sent to a, a gas leak in a house. And I'm sitting there in the chief's car analyzing the scene, ladder truck pulls up, this brand new lieutenant gets off, his crew gets off, and I look, and lieutenant's, his coat's wide open, his helmet's not on, his, his air pack's half unbuckled, and I'm like, what is he doing? So I just roll down the window of the chief's car, and lieutenant, yeah, chief. I said, come here. He comes trotting over. Yeah, chief. Did you forget something? Sorry, Chief. Go put yourself back together and then go to the house. Okay. And, and after that, he never had another problem. But I talked to him like a human being, not, you know, and, and I knew him since he was in diapers. So, you know, we laugh about it now, but it, he was brand new. And he was trying to get his feet wet and get his feet underneath him in order to be a successful line officer. But that day, he learned a hard lesson of let's slow down a second and make sure I'm all ready before I go direct my team and make sure they're all ready. Every single person on your team is a human being and plays an important role. Treat every person like the way you would want to be treated when you were in their position. Remember where you came from. We used to say that a lot in the 911 center I worked at. Let's remember where we came from. Just because you got promoted and you had a good day and passed the silver service test doesn't mean you're doing the job any better than I am. We're still a team. But be the leader of that team and, and treat us like human beings and professionals that we are. As a new leader, you will need to learn to accept that 100% ownership for every success and, and failure alike. The results of every operation ultimately reflect on every single leader that's part of that team. 
Communicating with your team. New leaders must have outstanding communication skills. This is the other kind of tongue-in-cheek joke we had the 911 center is we, we, did, we had poor communications in the communication center. We had, a, we had a, a commissioner that he would just drop directives out of nowhere and they would completely contradict our policy or they, wouldn't, they just wouldn't make any sense with the policy. And instead of like talking with the, the middle and supervisors, the middle management and coming to a, a decent directive, it would just fall out of the sky and nobody knew anything about it. It is critical for leaders at every level to keep their personnel informed. It is very easy for personnel to become lost in the shuffle or confused about the direction if the lines of communication are broken down. A lack of communication grows animosity and work effort becomes less effective. Your personnel will not always see what you see or hear what you're thinking. Um, you know, that means the vision that you have, the particular outcome that you're envisioning, it may not get interpretive without proper communication. A leader should take the proactive approach in engaging in regular communication with your personnel while providing updates. Have a conversation. Do not assume that the meaning of what you said is being interpreted correctly. Send your communications, basic communication. You send a message, you wait for it to be received, and they acknowledge it and they give you a response. If it's not the appropriate response, send a new message. A breakdown in communications is ultimately the failure of the sender, meaning you as the leader. There are many formats now that we communicate with. If your initial communication is an email and you send out an email directive and you start getting 60 different questions about your directive, you should probably have a conversation with the team. I love leaders in any organization. Now their, their, their communication method is text messaging, which can be effective in one way, but if texting can get distorted real quickly and taken out of context. Uh, pick up the phone. Make a phone call if you're not in the same office. A new, uh, a new leader should take the time to strengthen and improve their communication skills, which will ultimately improve the relationship with their personnel. Span of control. This is probably not something new for a lot of you. Um, span of control talks about or is commonly defined as the number of subordinates directly responsible to the leader or manager. Typically, this is a range of five to seven responsible subordinates. Having one supervisor to less than three is not effective. Having one supervisor leading more than seven, if they have 10 or 12, cue the circus music, because things just get out of control really quickly. Strong leaders strive to achieve the proper levels of influence and awareness by increasing the right activities to attain the desired product, uh, productivity. Strong leaders do not control people. They rally behind the same vision. They inspire people by setting them free to achieve bigger goals. Empower your people to achieve the goals that they're looking to achieve and help them sort out the tasks to get there. How a leader structures their span of control sends a very strong message as to who and what they value. It also speaks volumes about their capabilities, their interests, their passions, their traits, their characteristics, all of that. This is where strong communication skills come into play. The most overlooked characteristic of team dynamics is the ability of its leaders to understand the learning and development. Learning and development is very much a two-way street. Strong leaders seek to be challenged. I'd rather be part of a group where they, there's a synergistic effect and we're all challenging each other to do better, to get out of your comfort zones and learn something new, than one leader acting like they know it all and expecting the group to develop themselves. That doesn't work. One of the things with leadership and being a new leader is, you know, when you come in and you take over a group, you take over a whole organization. It doesn't matter which side of the leadership you're on. Are you going to come in and make these sweeping, drastic changes and not listen to anyone and because this is the way you envision the way the, the organization should run? Or do you take the time to come in and talk to everyone and learn what everybody's doing, learn their jobs, um, you know, learn the day-to-day -day before you start tweaking things slowly here and there? I've worked for both ends of that spectrum. I've worked where, with, a, with a boss that came and he didn't care what we thought. He was worried about the, the, the budget and that was it. So that's where his directives came from. And then the last boss I work with, she 
never really worked in emergency communications. So she came in and took the time. She came in on every single shift and sat down with several different call takers and dispatchers to learn about emergency communications, to learn their job so she could do her job better. I thought that was a class act. You know, some people are natural born leaders. They just, they seem to have it in their DNA. Their leadership skills just come out with, with whatever they do. And they can be the most junior person on the team, but they just have it built into their DNA. A lot of times you'll have people that all learn it over time. They may, you know, I, I had a, there was a chief in my old department that came after me. He came into the department, he didn't know a fire hose from a garden hose. But he got all the education he needed to be a great firefighter. Then he decided he wanted to be a line officer. So he learned everything he could to be a line officer, and he was a very good line officer. Um, and it was a long road for him, but he put in the work to learn it. Um, then you got the people that try. They try to be leaders. They just don't have what it takes. You know, they, they, and you give them the credit for trying, but they just, it's one of those things that is very difficult for them to learn. And it may be time to put them in charge of a project instead of a whole crew or the whole organization. It's very much a journey in leadership. A lot of times you have to learn and unlearn skills. And this is you know, what this is talking about, becoming a successful leader. And it's kind of what I'm talking about. If you're changing industries or you're changing organizations, a lot of times you have to learn and unlearn skills. Learn the skills that you have to be an effective leader, but learn the new skills you need to lead your specific group. This is an equation I saw last year, and I love it. And this is where I'm going to wrap up. Culture equals values plus behavior. Notice that culture is first. If you don't have culture within your organization, the proper culture, you're going to have a lot of problems. I've seen where there was no culture because the values and behavior were poor. And I've seen a culture where the, the top, top dog, the top guy in charge, is empowering everybody to do better. He's taking care of them. He's taking a vested interest in their well-being. Um, they do things as a group. They do fundraising. They do things for the community. It's building the right culture. It's increasing the growth zone. When you don't have those strong values and that strong behavior, you just have a toxic environment. Strong leadership communicating the expectations and the mission motivates the team to be the best at, 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 or to be the best at what they do. Your personnel will work towards common goals in the strongest way possible if they feel they have some type of ownership in the outcome, if they feel part of the group, if they're part of the culture. Allow your personnel to experience a culture of respect where the ideas are welcomed. Leaders should create an open line of communication where every voice is heard. Have town hall meetings or whatever you want to call them, fireside chats, who cares? Let everybody speak. You may not always like to hear what they have to tell you because it may be a direct reflect on your leadership, but it's probably something you need to hear. Make sure that everybody's striving to be better and do better every single day. Any questions? I appreciate everybody's taking the time to come in and, and listen to me ramble on. Uh, hopefully you got a little bit of value out of, out of what's been presented here. Um, these are my digital business cards. If you need to take a picture of them, or I could, uh, you know, I would be happy to, to uh, text them to you. But one's both for my consulting business and for Carbine. Um, hopefully this applies. I think this does apply to emergency management because where I come from, emergency management has a very heavy influence on the first responder and public safety agencies throughout New York State. So hopefully this, this spoke to you just a little bit. All right, have a great day. Enjoy your conference. Thank you.